Good morning. Thank you again. And it's truly a privilege to be able to bring God's message to you this morning. And my desire here is just to be God's conduit. I'm nothing. I'm just a pipe. And so may the Lord speak to you and bless you as Pastor Russ just pray for us. So today is a Father's Day, and, and uh, I too echo uh, Pastor Russ's uh, acknowledgement. And thank you for all the dads that are out there for being the dad in your family. Uh, just the weight of responsibility that you carry every day and your presence uh, that you're there and uh, how all that means is what a huge implication blessing that is for your, for your family. I can never be overappreciated. And as we have the thought of fatherhood on our mind this Sunday, I would like us to focus on the fatherhood of God and in the security and identity that we can have as his children. In order for each one of us to keep walking as a Christian, healthily and fruitfully in this world, we must be deeply secure in our identity as a child of God and in our knowledge that God is our Father. And just all that means. If your heart is not deeply secure in these truths, your Christian walk is in a very vulnerable position. You'll be most defense, almost defenseless to the enemy's lies, to the discouraging reality of life and of this fallen world. And you'll find yourself insecure, joyless, fruitless, and easily overcome by temptation, lacking passion for God and being judgmental of others and feeling spiritually dry, and, and none of which you're happy to see being true about yourself. And that further can discourage you. And Satan hardly misses opportunities like that into your troubled mind. Directly, he speaks his very persuasive lies, right? And things like this can make us very afraid. You start doubting your salvation. And you try to prove yourself by all kinds of human means, only to get snapped right back to that original insecure and fearful position. And you try again and again, like a hopeless slave. You may be a very sincere Christian who diligently studies the Bible and genuinely seek to live for the glory of God, but if your heart is not secure in your sonship or daughtership to God as your father, you are in a great danger of all these things. Why? Because you are trying to live your Christian life without enjoying the most important blessing that the gospel offers for you. And that is your spiritual adoption to God's family as his child. My prayer is that through this message, the Spirit of God will seal your heart with the truth that you are a beloved child of a heavenly Father. And all that this means to renew your walk with him. This morning, the scripture we will look at is Romans 8, uh, 14 through 17. And, and, and I apologize, I have no screen for you this morning. I have no slides. So I would encourage you at this point to open the Bible um, to Romans chapter 8, please. Kind of going old school here this morning. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Romans 8, 14 through 17. 
Okay, here it is. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. I'll be making several points about our spiritual adoption based on this passage this morning, as well as other verses in the Bible. Then I will finish by sharing some application thoughts. First, there's a couple of preliminary clarifications to make. And first is that the sonship is reserved for those who are born again. Last week, uh, Luann and I uh, went to the funeral of a lady who was the mother of a close friend of ours. And the officiating minister began by declaring, all of us in this room are children of God. And though it sounded nice, it made those of us who know the Bible rather uncomfortable with that unbiblical statement because we knew that there are many people in that room who were not walking with God. The Bible is emphatically clear that not every single person is a child of God by birth. And as it says here in verse 14, for all, are, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And John 1.12 says, to all who did receive him, that's Jesus Christ, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Uh, later, Jesus said to Nicodemus, in that nightly conversation, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, not every person who is born in this world is a child of God, naturally, but only those who are born again by believing in Jesus and receiving him as his or her sin-bearer and king are the children of God. Believers are given the very Spirit of God living inside and to lead them. And yielding to and following the Spirit's leadership is, the, is a characteristic mark of the children of God that is emphasized here in this verse. And second clarification is that the word sonship uh, is not exclusive uh, to just boys, and it does not exclude girls or women. And I think you know that, but I'm, I thought I should clarify that first. In fact, as you will see in our passage this morning, the word sons of God is used interchangeably with the word children, children of God. But there is an important privilege implied in the word sons here, uh, which are, as I will show you later, true to all children of God, male or female. Okay, so now we are ready to look at what sonship actually means for us. The first thing to know about our sonship is that it's an adoptive sonship and is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. It's an adoptive sonship and the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, 
but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. None of us were born into God's family naturally. The only natural son is the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God, the begotten son of God. But through faith in Christ, we are adopted into God's family. And it will be helpful here to actually talk a bit of theology here uh, to help us see the wonder of our spiritual adoption. The difference between what's called justification, I'm sure it's familiar to many of you, this word, and adoption that we're talking about here and how adoption is wonderfully a higher blessing. When talking about the gospel, we are used to explaining it like this. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, and if we believe him as Savior and Lord, God can forgive our sins. Sounds familiar, right? And if you're more careful, we may ask something like this. And not only that God forgives our sins, but he also makes us just or righteous before him because through our faith in Christ, God counts Jesus' perfect righteousness as ours. And what this just explained is what's called justification. Through our faith in Jesus Christ, God makes us just and righteous before him by forgiving our debt of sin and crediting us with the perfect righteousness that Jesus earned for us by perfectly obeying uh, the will of the Father. Justification is primary and fundamental blessing that the cross offers us. Justification is primary blessing because it meets a primary spiritual need. We first need the forgiveness of our sins and assurance that God is no longer angry at us. That's important for us, the most important. The gospel offers this to us before he offers anything else to us. Justification is also a fundamental blessing because everything else in our salvation assumes it and rests on it, including our adoption. But this is not to say that justification is the highest blessing of the gospel. Adoption is higher because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. You see, justification is a forensic legal idea. It's conceived in terms of law and viewing God as judge. It does not of itself imply any intimate or deep relationship with God. In idea, you could conceive the reality of just being justified before God, but without having any relationship with God. Much like human judge in a court of law does not have to have any personal family or friendly relationship with the acquitted defendant. Are you with me? In contrast, adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of not law, but love and viewing God as Father. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God as Father is greater. The judge has not only declared you acquitted and righteous, but he has decided to adopt you 
take you as his own child into his own family. If you are a believer, you have not just been transferred from condemnation to acceptance merely, you have been rescued from bondage and destitute into safety and certainty and enjoyment of the family of God. And this, Paul says, is where your faith in Christ has brought you. Do you feel that your walk with God has been dry? Do you have a difficulty in feeling God's love for you? If that's the case, it may well be because your understanding of the gospel is stopped at justification and has not quite grown to grasp the implication of the adoption. We're more than just justified. We're adopted into God's family where we're dearly loved by our Heavenly Father, Father as His precious child. So that was number one point. And secondly, our adoption is a blessing that lasts. It's a permanent relationship. We all know that the family unit needs to be secure and stable, that any unsteadiness in the parent-child relationships uh, parent-child relationship take its toll in strain, neurosis, and other unhealthy developments in a child. And we all know that the depressions and uh, instabilities and, and immaturities that mark the children of broken homes. But things are not like that in God's family. The parent, our Heavenly Father, is entirely wise and good and loving, and the children, the child's position is permanently assured, and in this you have absolute stability and security. Only bad fathers throw their children out of the family, and God is not a bad father, as we said earlier, as we sang together. He is a good father. He will not throw you out of his family. You might be angry sometimes. You might be prodigal but he, might not, he will not stop being your father. Do you experience depression, randomness, and difficulty in Christian growth? If so, I want to urge you to develop the life-giving habit of dwelling on the abiding security of the children of God. Whatever challenges life brings and whatever difficulty and adversity that you find yourself in, if you are born again in Christ, God is your Father. He is your dear Heavenly Father who is faithful in love and care, generous and thoughtful, interested in all you do, skillful in training you, wise in guidance and always available, helping you to find yourself in maturity, integrity, and uprightness. Your adoption into God's family is permanent. Your Father in heaven will never cast you out. He is committed to love you all the way. That was the second point. And the third point, by virtue of adoption into God's family, we get to relate to God in the same way Jesus relates to God. Again, in verse 15 reads, you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, 
Father. The word Abba means Father, actually, just like this. It's Father, Father. In that. Uh, Abba means Father in Aramaic language that Jesus spoke. And it is the way Jesus addressed God. It is an intimate family word, as many of you might know. But intimate doesn't mean casual necessarily, as if to say, talk to, you can talk to God, hey, what's up, Dad? <laughs> it's not quite like that. But it's a respectfully affectionate way of addressing Father. And by the Spirit of Jesus now living inside of us, we, adopted children of God, also get to address God of the universe as our own Abba, Father. This essentially means that we get to have the same relationship with God as Jesus has with his Father, and it also means that God relates to us in the same way he relates to Jesus. And this should blow your mind away. It should, if you're awake. <laughs> The climax of the first resurrection appearance was Jesus' statement that he, was, that he was ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Here Jesus says that the father, his Father is also the Father of his disciples, and his God is the God of his disciples. We as Christ's disciples today get to relate to God the same way Jesus related to his Father. There are four things that can be said of God's fatherly relation to Jesus, and all of that will also apply to us, okay? I'm sorry that I don't have any slide here, <laughs> but please try to follow me. There are four things that can be said of God's fatherly relation to Jesus, and this, all of the four applies to us, okay? So pay attention to this. Number one is that God's fatherhood implied authority, authority. Now, Jesus said, talking about his relationship to the Father, he said, I have come down from heaven not, all, not to do my will, but to the will of him who sent me, the Father's will who sent me. I have completed the work you, Father, gave me to do. The Son can do nothing by himself, and my food is to do the will of him, the Father, who sent me. Those are all found in the Gospel of John. Jesus obeyed God, and so must we. So must you. And number two, God's fatherhood implied affection, love. Jesus said, Father loves the Son. The Father has loved me. I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. That's also found in the Gospel of John chapter 5 and 15. We know that God loves Jesus, right? But as God loves his only begotten Son, in the same way, he also loves his adopted sons and daughters. And you say, really? Yes, really. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus prayed to his father like this. 1723, it says, I in them and you in me, that they, this is, I in them means I, the, I in the disciples, and the Father, you, in me, that they, the disciples, may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you, Father, sent me, and loved them even as you loved me. Did you hear that? 
that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. I have a margin note in my Bible with a big, thick, five exclamation marks right next to this verse <laughs> because I thought this is so amazing. God the Father loves you the same way he loves Jesus. The Bible says so. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Number three, God's fatherhood implied fellowship. In John 16, 32, Jesus said, I am not alone, for my Father is with me. The Father was always with Jesus, except the time on the cross where he was abandoned by his Father's love on our behalf. But other than that, that moment, Jesus was always with the Father. The Father was always with Jesus, and so is he with us in all seasons and all situations of our lives. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, in Hebrews 13, 5. And fourth, God's fatherhood implied honor. This is going to be amazing also. God wills to exalt his son, Jesus, and Jesus said, Father, glorify your son. This is the beginning of his high priestly prayer in John 17. And John chapter 5, he's also said, The Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And as God exalted Jesus, so will he exalt Jesus' followers as brothers in one family. And again, you might say, really? Yes, really. Jesus said in John 12, 26, If anyone serves me, him will my Father honor. The same word, honor. I will come back on the glory that is stored for us in a minute. But in these terms, the Bible teaches us to understand the nature of the parent-child relationship which binds together the Father of Jesus and the servant of Jesus. God wants us to know that we are to relate to God the same way Jesus does and that God relates to us the same way he relates to Jesus. And in this way, God intends for our lives to be a reflection and reproduction of Jesus' own fellowship with himself. Is your life reflecting? Is your life a reproduction of Jesus' relationship with the Father? and Father's relationship with him, you are to be the reproduction of that here on earth. Let me ask you, how much has this kind of thought been part of your Christian walk? And at the least, if you are too used to praying to God, simply addressing him, God, or dear God, or dear Lord, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong about that necessarily, but... But I would encourage you to start praying, Dear Father, and of course, Pastor Russ exemplified that this morning for us, because that's the way Jesus talked to the Father, and we're expected to do the same. We are to have the same relationship Jesus had with his Father. Back to the kind of main series of points about adoption. The fourth point on our adoption to sonship is this. This is also cool. 
we are adopted to be heir of God. Verse 17, back to Romans chapter 8, verse 17, it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. New Testament Christianity is a religion of hope, a faith that looks forward. For the Christian, the best is always yet to be. It's always coming in the future, that we're patiently, faithfully, eagerly to wait upon that hope. But make no mistake, of course, in the Bible, hope does not mean some kind of wishful possibility. It is rather a guaranteed certainty because it is a promised inheritance. The reason for adoption in the first century Roman world, now switch my gear, our gear and my mind, we're talking about the back in the first century Roman world, the reason for adoption that people were doing back then was to have an heir, heir to whom one could pass one's goods to. So also, God's adoption of us makes us his heirs and guarantees to us the inheritance that the Heavenly Father has for us. Uh, four years ago, my grandmother passed away in Tokyo, and my mom and my aunt, uh, who were the two surviving children of grandma, inherited her estate, and which was actually a nice sum of money, actually. <laughs> Along with my aunt, my mom was the legal heir to all that grandma had. And it says, though, here, that we are heirs of God. <laughs> it blows our mind. Our father's wealth is immeasurable. Immeasurable. Unlimited. And we are to inherit the entire estate of his. <laughs> blows our mind away. The specific content of our promising inheritance, though, is a shared glory with Christ. That we have a share in the glory of Christ. The end of the verse 17 gives us further idea of what the substance of our inheritance is. It says, in order that we might also be glorified with him, with Christ. Now this means that we will be made just like Jesus, our elder brother in the same family of God in every aspect. Uh, in 1 John 3, 2 says, and now we're children of God, and uh, what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, when he comes back, we shall be like him. You shall be like him. Right now we struggle with all kinds of uh, sinfulness, broken nature that's still there in us as we live in this world. Can you imagine even that one day when Jesus comes back that we will be just like him, perfect in our character, perfect in our holiness. And in so saying, we should not miss, by the way, that, we, that the likeness to Christ extends also to our physical being as well as our mind and our character. And that's what we see in Romans 23, a little bit, 23, a little bit after our current passage. Romans 8, 23, it says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit, 
groan inwardly, and listen to this from here, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. As we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Here, the completion or consummation, if you will, of our adoption is spoken of here as the redemption of our bodies, meaning that our current sinful, perishable, mortal bodies of ours will be transformed into a perfect resurrection body that is no longer subject to sin and sickness, decay, or death, and this will happen at the time of Christ's glorious return. You remember the story of uh, Mount of Transfiguration? You remember that, right? On that mount, on that one day, his face shone like the sun, it says. Jesus teaches that on that glorious day when Christ comes back, his followers will be just like that, sharing his glory. And he says that in Matthew 13, 43, where he says, then, that's the end of the age when Christ comes back, then the righteous, that's us, who have been made righteous through Christ's finished work on the cross, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Such is the glory of the inheritance that we have been made heir to. With this kind of indescribably glorious future waiting for us no wonder paul can say in romans 8 18 for i consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us it's just not even worth comparing it's a, it's going to be just amazing brothers and sisters yes and it certainly puts a present life on earth into perspective, doesn't it? Now, some of you must be, might be wondering at this point, thinking, I hope I'm in. I think I'm a Christian, but sometimes I wonder. And I hope I'm born again, but how would I know that I'm really a Christian? We all need assurance of our salvation, and for that, let's turn to verse 16 of our passage, Romans 8:16, where it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We see here that there are two distinct witnesses that testify to our adoption. One is our own spirit, that is our conscious self, okay? And the other, God's spirit, Holy Spirit, who bears witness with our spirit, in other words, to our spirit. Okay, let me explain that to you a little bit. So the Holy Spirit, who is a spirit of adoption, as he says in this passage, helps us to be certain of our sonship by enabling us to be conscious of or maybe discovering in ourselves those true marks of a regenerate person. Things like that we 
prize Christ's death and resurrection for our salvation. And we just have come to love reading the Bible. We come to love God and worshiping Him. And we want to live for God's glory. We want to tell people about Jesus. All those things are genuine marks of a regenerate person. And as the Spirit of God enables us to see those marks being true in your life, then your spirit can say, yes, I am a child of God. That's the first aspect. But the Holy Spirit can also directly talk to our spirit, our conscious, also in his own distinct way. It may be something that is like a um, clear voice saying, you, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. Or maybe in a little bit less articulate way, and yet you can still tell, this, tell that this is the Holy Spirit speaking to you, assuring you of your sonship or daughtership to God. If you are a child of God, your Father would not withhold that sense of assurance from you. Our Heavenly Father intends His children to know His love for them and their own security in His family. He would not be a perfect Father if He did not want this or did not act to bring that about for us. His action takes the form of this making the dual witness, the, the Holy Spirit and our own spirit being a dual witness that we just talked about. That's, that's the way He bring assurance into our hearts. So my question for you then is, what is the deep sense in your spirit? And what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? And if you're a child of God, your Heavenly Father will convince you through these means that you are His child and that the saving love and promises of God apply directly to you. And our final point about adoption. What our adoption shows us at least, there are other things too, but first and foremost this, is the greatness of the love of God. Greatness of the love of God. The New Testament gives us two yardsticks for measuring God's love. First is the cross, but second is the gift of sonship, this adoption. All, of all the gifts of grace, adoption is the highest. When you realize that God has taken you from the gutter, so to speak, <laughs> and made you, made you a son in his own house. You, a miraculously pardoned offender, me, a miraculously pardoned offender, ungrateful, defiant, perverse as we were, then our sense of God's love beyond degree is just more than words can express. Now, in the, back into the ancient world, adoption was a, a practice ordinarily confined to the childless well-to-do. And its subjects, as we said earlier, were not normally infants like today, but young adults who had shown themselves fit and able to carry a family name in a worthy way. Now, in this case, in our case, however, God adopts us out of free love, not because of a character record show us worthy of, to bear his name, but despite the fact that they showed the very, very opposite, actually. That we're not fit. We're not fit for a place in God's family at all. We're not. The idea of God's loving and exalting us sinners as he loves and has exalted his Lord, his, the, his begotten son, Jesus, sounds just totally ludicrous and wild. 
Doesn't it? It should. Yet that, and nothing less than that, is what adoption means. God receives us as sons and loves us with the same steadfast affection with which he eternally loves his beloved begotten. And there are no distinctions of affection in the divine family. We're all loved just as fully as Jesus is loved. It's like a fairy story. It's like a fairy story. The reigning monarch adopts homeless stray children and makes princes of them. <laughs> but praise God, it is not a fairy story. It is a hard and solid fact founded on the bedrock of free and sovereign grace, inscripted eternally in his scripture for us. This and nothing less than this is what adoption means. So in conclusion, let me ask you this. Do you as a Christian understand yourself? Do you know your own real identity? Your own real destiny? As you develop the habit of dwelling in the truth of your spiritual adoption, you're going to find your faith strengthened, fortified, enriched, and from there fruitful and victorious. And how I sincerely desire that for you and for myself as we go back to Tokyo and be the representative of this amazing message and amazing Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And for application, I would like to give you something for you to memorize. <laughs> Ready? I'm going to give you something to memorize. Um, J.I. Packer was a respected theologian who recently, well, a few years ago, passed away. But he wrote a famous classic called Knowing God. And actually, most of the thought that I shared this morning with you comes from this work. And if you found my message helpful at all so far, I would highly recommend you reading Packer's chapter on adoption. It's going to be super, super rich. But here's the memorization part. Calling this the Christian secret of a Christian life and a, of a God-honoring life, Packer says that we should take the following truths and say it over and over to yourself first thing in the morning and the last thing at night Anytime your mind is free and ask that you may, be a, you may be enabled to live as one who knows it is all utterly and completely true. And here are these things, six items. It's short. Number one, I am a child of God. Number two, God is my father. Three, heaven is my home. And four, every day is one day nearer. Five, my Savior is my brother. And six, every Christian is my brother too. Let me say that again. I want you to memorize this, okay? Number one, I am a child of God. Two, 
God is my father. Three, heaven is my home. Four, every day is one day nearer. Five, my savior is my brother. And six, every Christian is my brother too. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you. There's no word to express our gratitude, to even begin to fathom just how great your love is, Father. And I confess, Lord, that my understanding of the gospel, my understanding of what you have done has too often stopped at justification, just my right standing before you, but not thinking far enough that you have adopted me into your family and that I have been made subject of your object of your great, great love, the same love you love, Jesus. And that is not just the beginning, but only the, be only the beginning to permanently last. And I, Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters here in Faith Community Church, each, every single one of them, they will be sealed with this truth in their hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. What it means that they are children of you. And what it means that you are their Father. We praise you, Father. In the name of our Savior and our brother, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.